Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hey, hey, welcome back, everybody, to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. I, of course, am your host and fearless leader, Johnny the Gentile Profita. Hope everyone's doing well today. I am a little late getting this week's episode out, the second of this week, but I think I have a good excuse because I have fallen ill once again with the devastating coronavirus. I think I think I have succumbed to the Omicron variant. My girl here got it a couple days after the new year and she's been, you know, under the weather all week with the, you know, nothing major, just fevers and aches and a little bit of a cough and I think it finally took its toll on me as well as I have a bit of a fever today. I spent most of the the day resting. It, it's now Saturday night. It's pretty late here. And I was going to try to get an episode out for you guys yesterday before we did our happy hour, but just wasn't really in the cards. I was a little tired and uh, Justin was kind of busy. So I'm actually flying solo in tonight's episode. Uh, Justin's taking the weekend off here and I'm just going to run by the seat of my pants, talk a little bit about our January 6th the uh the anniversary of the insurrection that has been my god has that been the uh blown way out of proportion much worse than i actually thought it would ever be um, I, I mean i was expecting the uh the democratic left to just go berserk with this thing and you know playing the world's tiniest violins like the aocs of the world and everybody that was in the the capitol building during this three-hour riot but it was actually even more preposterous than i had anticipated which is is hard to believe because i had very high expectations for the absurdity that was going to take place on on the sixth and then yesterday we also had the supreme court listening to oral arguments for whether or not the the Biden administration can, in fact, impose uh, vaccine mandates and or testing um, to to require their employees to test. If they have more than 100 employees, you'll be required to either test or be vaccinated. So there were some oral arguments there that I thought we should go through. I found that very interesting to listen to. Um, interesting and frustrating at the same time. So that's what's on the the docket for today. Um, you know, I'm I'm not feeling too bad, honestly. Um, just I, I've been, uh, you know, yesterday when I finally, you know, decided that I, I was on the verge of getting sick. You know, you get that little tickle in your throat. You know, you start feeling kind of scratchy, throat congested kind of thing. And so I I ran to the pharmacy before 
the the happy hour and I grabbed some ivermectin and some of the uh, zinc, you know, B12 zinc uh, vitamin things that this lady was talking about when I was there. And I took a couple of those, you know, I'm doing the, the 12 milligrams of ivory and two of the those vitamins every day. And honestly, I, I feel a lot better than I, I did this morning. Waking up this morning, I felt, uh, you know, like I had a fever, you know, fever and very achy. But as the day went on, I felt better and better. So I don't know if this is just the the mild nature of the Omicron, despite what some of these people were trying to say, uh, make the argument for in front of the Supreme Court. If it's just that this it really is a milder version of the the um, COVID-19 as it mutates further and further from its original form, or if this ivermectin stuff is actually working, I don't know. It's it's kind of too early to tell. It's only been a you know a day or two since I actually started feeling kind of kind of sick. So we'll see how that goes. But so far, so good. And um, I'm gonna bang out an episode for you fine folks here. Hope you all had a nice uh, holiday and are having a nice weekend. This will probably drop Sunday because I'm going to go to bed here after I record this, and then I'll clean up the audio tomorrow and uh, drop this for you guys. But yeah, let's... uh... Oh, there's one more thing uh, on the docket for today. My uh, fabulous hometown of Chicago is in the news again. This time it's the teachers union, you know, these teachers that are so concerned about the children and that education is a right, that they've decided to not show up to school until their demands are met. This is causing all kinds of problems for the city of Chicago. I think they're on their third straight day of canceled school. They're, one of their demands, which is absolutely absurd, is that they want the, every kid to be tested for COVID-19 before returning to school. Now, I'm not clear on that if they just have to be tested once before they come back and then that's it, or they have to continually, continuously be tested. But that is just absolutely ridiculous, like thousands of kids getting tested to go back to school. But uh, anyway, I find that whole situation kind of interesting as well because you find the the Lori Lightfoots of the world now making the argument that schools are very safe places to go for children and that they're not, you know, these um, Petri dishes that are spreading COVID-19 everywhere and it's it's perfectly safe for them to open back up and have in-person instruction and everything like that. So we can get into all of that if we have time after I go over the, the, the two big news stories of the week. I mean, the biggest one obviously has to be that January 6th took place a year ago on Thursday, January 6th, 2021. There was a three-hour, I mean, to call it a riot is even being a little generous with the term riot. If we're going to call what happened on on January 6th, 2021, a riot, and we're also going to call what was happening all throughout 2020 for the, the Black Lives Matter protests. We're, we're going to call those riots, too. We're going to call those two things the same thing. Or we're going to call the Black Lives Matters peaceful protests. And we're going to call January 6th riots. I mean, th- this whole thing is absolutely absurd. I mean, I honestly can't believe the level of melodrama that's been taking place the, the last couple of days over this. The, the level of puss in America, if you're, if you're going to go on TV and, and you're still crying about something that happened 
a year ago where nothing actually really happened from the perspective of the people that are crying. I mean, all these politicians that are out there with these crocodile tears giving these ridiculous speeches. And I have some audio queued up because we had uh, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden both gave speeches about January 6th. I mean, nothing happened to these people. Nothing whatsoever. I mean, the number of people that were killed by these pro-Trump supporters storming the Capitol building is zero, was zero. That They didn't kill anybody. There were a bunch of Trump supporters that got, I think, three or so. A handful of them just like collapsed and died from like just being out of shape, I think. <laughs> Who knows? Or maybe they got trampled. Um, and then there was that one lady that got shot point blank by one of the Capitol police officers. So the, those were the deaths. I mean, there were some. There were cops that got injured, um, but th but that's it. And then you just have a bunch of goofballs going through the Capitol, you know, ransacking offices, farting on Nancy Pelosi's desk, dressed like idiots, doing a bunch of stupid shit. And this is like if if you were to listen to the speeches that that Joe Biden gave or that Kamala Harris gave before you'd actually seen the footage. And I hope people do this in the future because there's like a whole generation of kids that we're not going to, you know, they, they, they're not going to remember January 6th. I mean, they, they, they're trying to paint it like it was this monumental event, like the Kennedy assassination where 50 years from now, everybody's going to remember where they were on January 6th. That's just absolutely ridiculous. What all these parents should do going forward for all your your kids out there that don't remember January 6 play the you know some of these news casts that 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 come on play Joe Biden's speech from Thursday he he talked for about 25 minutes and it was so it was so over dramatic and and, and absurd and also boring but um, you should play that before you actually show them the footage of what actually happened because they are worlds apart, wildly apart. Well, here, let's, uh, let's have Kamala Harris put it into perspective for us, right? The, the most, um, devastating event in modern U.S. history. It's right up there with a couple of other significant events you might recall from the last 20 years or so. Um, here, let's go ahead and roll it. Certain dates echo throughout history, including dates that instantly remind all who have lived through them, where they were and what they were doing when our democracy came under assault. Dates that occupy not only a place on our calendars, but a place in our collective memory. December 7th, 1941, September 11th, 2001, and January 6th, 2021. <laughs> there, okay, so there you have it. There you have it. Um, December 7th, 1941. That was Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor was when the Japanese supposedly surprise attacked the you know the and bombed pearl harbor right 2400 i think 2403 people were killed in that 2403 people were killed in that surprise attack that 
you know, we probably knew about beforehand and they just let happen anyways because they wanted an excuse to get us into World War II. Okay. Uh, 9-11, we all remember that one. Uh, 2,977 people died from that attack. 2,977. The number of people, as I mentioned before, killed by these so-called rioters was in fact zero. Squad douche. Squad douche. And you know, what's funny is I, you know, I mentioned the Kennedy assassination before because that was always like what my parents and my grandparents would always talk about. You know, like I'll never forget where I was when I heard the news that John F. Kennedy had been assassinated. Apparently he's been bumped now from history in, in favor of this January 6th Capitol riot where a bunch of idiots stormed the Capitol and farted on Nancy Pelosi's desk. <laughs> that's but and, and you know uh, A- AOC is so traumatized by this even though she wasn't even in the same building she's been crying about it. But, but she's okay everybody she's okay thank god for that but this day will live in infamy as the day that our precious democracy was attacked <laughs> I mean you, you really can't um, yeah I don't think it's possible to overstate this more than they actually have and the level of narcissism in dc i think is on display more because of this january 6th event than ever before i I can't think of any other event that has brought out the narcissism of these uh these politicians and and the corporate press that's covering them I mean, these these sob stories that you hear on the news are absolutely ridiculous. And none of these people, none of them could give a rip about any traumatic event happening for the entire year leading up to this, when there were thousands of people actually rioting in the streets, burning down buildings, um, attacking, assaulting people. I think, you know, like 30 plus people were killed, you know, you can check my numbers on that, but I'm, I think it was, you know, double digits uh, people were killed during these, um, during the Black Lives Matter riots, actual riots where things were burned, businesses were destroyed, people were getting hit in the head by two by fours and soccer kicked across the street. Nobody, none of these, poly- you know, uh, Joe Biden, who, who had some very stern words for you know to describe what was going on on january 6th these violent rioters storming the capitol these violent rioters i i don't remember him coming out and saying anything about the the actual riots that were going on they they certainly weren't violent rioters they were peaceful protesters you know apparently it's okay to um you know you can destroy and this this is how they view you. This is how politicians view the American people. You know, they don't give a shit if violent, if a violent mob attacks your business, burns down your livelihood, destroys your, your house, uh, you know, kills your wife, hits your wife over the head with a two by four or something like that. They don't care about that at all. Those are peaceful protests and we're going to take a knee. We're going to dress up in African garb and take a knee, kneel down in the cap. Was that in the Capitol building? I forget where they were kneeling, putting on this like fucking ridiculous display. But the second it comes to their doorstep, the second that they actually have to fear for their lives for a second. Oh, now, now these are, these are violent 
There's a violent mob, even though none of them were armed. There, there were no guns. There were no knives. There was nobody killed, um, except for some of the the rioters. The the one lady that was actually shot by police, and then the uh, there was like a handful of people. I think that they just died for some reason. I forget why they were trampled or they just couldn't handle the stress of the situation. I, I forget exactly what happened, but and then there were a number of police officers that were hurt. And everybody's feigning outrage over that. The same people that we're talking about, you know, defunding the police, uh, pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon. I mean, how many cops were hurt during the the Black Lives Matter rides? Um, not that I'm losing any sleep over, you know, cops getting their comeuppance. But the same people that want the, the cops defunded and destroyed are now up in arms that there is there were a handful of uh police officers capital police officers that were injured during these uh so-called riots it it really is just uh, the level of hypocrisy too is off the charts everything is just absolutely like we're, we're in a cartoonish world here now and i don't think anybody's buying it i really don't i can't imagine that the vast majority of the american people are are as upset about January 6th, as these politicians uh, claim to be. And it just goes to show you the the disconnect, the level of disconnect between Washington, D.C. and the American people. I mean, think of what we are coming off of the last couple of years, where you have been locked in your house, right, um, told to fear for your lives over this virus. You've lost your job. You've lost your livelihood. Maybe you got a little stimulus check to hold you over for a year, a couple, you know, 1200 bucks or something like that. Haven't been able to see your family, your loved ones. Maybe you've uh, ha- had uh, some loved ones die and you weren't, be able, uh, you weren't able to be with them in the hospital or go to their funeral, um, go to their wedding, whatever it is. We're coming off of that. And for a three-hour period, a bunch of hooligans stormed the Capitol building and wandered around, you know, took selfies, goofed off in the building, didn't hurt anybody, really. Uh, I mean, I guess they hurt some of the cops that were trying to stop them. But, I mean, as far as, you know, tragic events go, this is like the least tragic thing in, in recent memory for me, certainly to put it on the level of 9-11 and Pearl Harbor and to bump the Kennedy assassination out of the mix. I mean, that is absolutely ridiculous. And I, I don't think that the the gap between where the American people are and where these politicians are has ever been wider. I mean, and this is just the perfect example. The, the bubble that they live in in Washington, D.C., they actually think people give a shit about what happened for three hours a, a year ago when no, when they didn't kill anybody. They just, you know, um, vandalized the Capitol building and took some stuff from Nancy Pelosi's. Okay, like nobody has been thinking about this at all, um, unless you're one of these like narcissistic politicians like AOC who who want to, you know capitalize on this and use it for political uh to gain to gain something politically and and just to to overstate it like that i mean like you could you could talk about how this was you know a bad thing to do and i think it was just i mean just on the level of you know strategically it was just so stupid but to go all sarah bernhardt on this thing 
I think that's the really dramatic actress from like the 50s or something. And and just blow it completely out of proportion and pretend that that it was this much worse than it actually was. What are you what are you hoping to gain here? Doesn't this just make everybody roll their fucking eyes when you see, you know, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who wasn't even in the building, who wasn't under any threat. She was in like a completely different area, crying, talking about post-traumatic stress a a year after this. You got journalists talking who also weren't there, crying on national TV, talking about how they're so fucking devastated from this event that they weren't even there for. I, I mean, what the hell is going on here? This is so bizarre. It's so bizarre. And indicative of you know the level of fragility in the american psyche that's something this you know it, it you can tie it back to the COVID thing something this benign is going to upset your life for an entire year and now it's like jane i guess every year we're gonna memorialize this thing this this riot um it, it's crazy it's absolutely crazy but hey you know I, I tweeted out i hope they give us a day off for this let's make it a, a national holiday we all have to sit back on january 6th we can't be working because our precious democracy was under attack for a three-hour period by a bunch of unarmed idiots with cell phones taking selfies in nancy pelosi's office <laughs> if that if that's the the best you can do um man that is quite the ins- insurrection, right? I mean, the language, the level of hyperbole that they're using here is it would be funny if they weren't going to be able to use it to come after these people. And hundreds of them are like in, you know, prison right now facing really serious charges. They're they're going to try to use this to, to paint, you know, come turn that whole national security apparatus in inward on the American people. They're no longer worried about stuff over, you know, in Afghanistan. No, no, no. Now we've got these domestic terrorists that are threatening our democracy. First of all, again, we're not a democracy. And it's just like, (laughs) there's something so aggravating about that, where it's just like, everybody just keeps saying democracy, democracy, democracy. Not only do we not have a democracy, but they don't even believe in democracy. None of these people actually believe in democracy, and I think I've made my thoughts on democracy abundantly clear on this podcast, but there, there's nothing really that noble about it as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it's, you know, two wolves and a sheep deciding on what's for dinner when you get right down to it, and I think it's illegitimate, and all democracies fail. But the, um, you have to you have to be able to see what these politicians are doing. Okay, they clearly, based on all of their other actions, like forget about their words, based on their actions, they don't give a shit about you. They don't. They absolutely do not give a rip about you. But what they what they know you care about, what they've been what you've been propagandized to believe is that your rights, you know, your the most precious right you have is your right to vote. And democracy is the most sacred of the holy sacraments of gov- of the religion of the state. And so they know that you've been trained to care about that. And so that's what they hop on. That's what they're going after at, at, to, to make you care about this as well. <laughs> when really it's just about them. It's about them feeling threatened for the first time ever. 
um, even though none of these people were armed. It was a big mob of people. And you don't have to be armed to, um, you know, go after politicians. So I don't doubt that they were scared, that they didn't know what this mob was going to do. It turned out they weren't going to do anything, um, but you know, other than goof around inside the Capitol building. But you don't know that in the moment. So I get being scared like that. And that is like a, a big wake up call for a lot of these politicians that maybe thought they were uh, getting a little too comfortable bossing these people around. But they're never going to try to make it as much about them as they are going to try to make it about the thing that they've trained you to care about, your precious voting rights, right? Like like voting actually makes a difference. And uh, what's that quote? You know, if voting actually made a difference, they wouldn't let you do it. They give you that that false choice, you know, that option of choosing between Coke and Pepsi. And they make it, you know, they make you feel as if that's freedom. And this this is how far we've come from, you know, the the idea of of what America was about, what freedom and liberty is all about. It's not voting for a politician to rule over you. It's not choosing between Democrat and Republican. It's it's not, you know, walking around without a mask. It's so much more than that. But they've taken away so much from us that we've been conditioned to think that our rights come from voting. In fact, even Kamala Harris said, um, let me see if I have the tweet here. I think I do. We must defend and strengthen the right that unlocks all the other rights, the right to vote. And I mean, I had to, I had to respond to that. Our, our rights don't come from voting, okay? But th this is what we've been taught to believe in these government schools is that all of our other rights come from the right to vote. It's the most precious thing ever. When, if you, you know, just listen, read the Declaration of Independence, our founding documents that were born with inalienable rights. They don't come from voting. We don't get to vote rights onto, onto people. No, 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 we have rights. And they created this government to prevent our, our God-given rights from being trampled on. Now, obviously, that didn't work. And it turns out that that was a very misguided idea. But the statement that they were making was that we have inalienable rights that come from God, not from government. We don't vote. You can't vote for rights. Um, you have them. And that's that. And the only reason you're, you're voting for politicians is to ensure that the rights that you already have don't get infringed upon. And... Uh, yeah, as I said, <laughs> look around. That that plan isn't working out too well. But anyway, um, th this whole January 6th thing, I guess we're just going to do this every year now. We're going to have the crocodile tears and, you know, tissues all around and a bunch of people complaining about PTSD that weren't even, weren't even there, <laughs> weren't even in the building weren't even, you know, they just knew somebody that was there and they were like a little worried about them for a couple hours, but then it turned out that everything was fine. Instead of breathing a sigh of relief, they apparently have been obsessing over this for the last year, haven't been able to focus on anything but this. <laughs> and uh, my God, if that, you know, if something like this has consumed your life for the last year, I, uh, I really feel bad for you. I do. You need a hobby. <laughs> you got to get out more. Anyway, let's, uh, Let's take a quick second and thank our sponsor for today's show, which is Lorenzotti Coffee. 
And if you guys have been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, they've been our longest and uh, dearest running sponsor. They have premium Italian coffee and coffee brewing supplies that they will deliver right to your door. All you have to do is go to lorenzotti.coffee. That's spelled L-O-R, E as in Edward, N as in Nancy, Z as in Zebra. O-T-T-I, lorenzotti.coffee. And if you use my promo code FICTION, you'll get 10% off your order. I really do like these guys. I like their product. I like the packaging. I like it all. You should really check them out. Get some coffee. Help support the sponsors that keep the lights on around here. So go to lorenzotti.coffee, promo code FICTION. All right, let's, um, let's shift gears here a little bit. And we can talk about what was going on in front of the Supreme Court justices on Friday, which, you know, I I didn't catch all of this. I think it was like, you know, three and a half, four hours or something. And I missed the beginning of it, but I listened to a good portion of it. And it was shocking just how how little these um, chief, chief justices knew about Corona in general. And how much they were just, how much leeway they were giving these, uh, this one lady who was making the argument, I forget her name, who was arguing in favor of OSHA being able to enforce these vaccine mandates. And there is a testing option as well. And at least right now, there's a testing option. But if we know anything about how these, these people operate, right, this is what they're going to do, right? It's, it's vaccine mandates. And or you can get, you know, or you can get tested. So it's, you know, we're not really mandating the vaccine. You have this option to get tested. And that's how they're going to get the authority to do it. That's how they're going to get their foot in the door. And then once they have the authority to do it, that testing option is going to go by the wayside and you're going to be forced to inject yourself with something or lose your job. 100% that's the route that they're going, right? But the, the, the lady making these arguments was rattling off absurd statistics about coronavirus just absolutely absurd including uh soto sotomayor who also said like a hundred thousand kids have been there are a hundred thousand children in serious condition many on ventilators and it you know i didn't like where this this hearing went from the get-go i guess so there, there are two different cases in front of the supreme court one is like basically uh the biden administration uh, wants is trying to use OSHA to enforce this vaccine and testing mandate on any business with over a hundred uh, employees, and then there's another one that Missouri is bringing against uh, the Biden administration. The case that Missouri is bringing against Biden it applies to I think healthcare industries that are getting um, you know that treat Medicare and Medicare uh, Medicaid patients. So if you're getting reimbursements from the federal government to treat Medicaid and Medicare patients, they want your staff to be fully vaccinated, which if you really think about it is could be a great harbinger of what's to come, right? They're, they're talk, the, the, the feds are talking about pulling Medicare and Medicaid funding from states that don't comply with this vaccine mandate, or that's what's going to happen once they, once they get the authority to do this and they don't comply, you're going to lose your funding. What do you think is going to happen to the American people that refuse the vaccine? You think you're going to get your Social Security? You think you're going to get your Medicaid? You think you're going to get your your welfare check payment if you're not falling in line with the regime? 
that's what they're going to hit you with. That's how they're going to get you. First, they'll, maybe they'll try for your job. And then when you go on unemployment, oh, you want unemployment benefits? You're not meeting all of our requirements. One of the requirements now is like public health safety horseshit. And you have to be vaccinated if you want that. Oh, you want your monthly uh, Ponzi scheme stipend that you paid into for 40 years? Well, in order to get that, you better be vaccinated because you can't have, you know, a public health uh, nuisance presenting a grave danger to the rest of the population. We can't in good conscience give you this money that we promised you because you haven't been vaccinated. That this is what is at stake here. This is the I mean, they will do this. They will do this without hesitancy. These are people that are starving little children overseas for political points to appease the Saudis. These are despicable people that will do anything to maintain power. And if you don't think they will get you where it hurts when you're most vulnerable, uh, you've got another thing coming. And again, this is just one requirement that they can come up with. None of these things are guaranteed. They're all up to the discretion of Congress. They can change the requirements whenever they want. They can make this vaccine. They can make boosters. They can make something completely different, something climate change related. You have to fall in line with climate change, blah, 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 in order to get your, your check in the mail. Um, they can do whatever the hell they want to you because we've allowed them this amount of power. But all, all of that aside, like I don't really even care about the, the distinction between the two. I, I didn't like the the direction that this went from the get-go. Now, I missed most of the um, anti-mandate arguments. Um, I, I didn't think, you know, maybe I missed the whole thing. I heard this guy speak a little bit, but I didn't think he was making particularly persuasive points either. But <clears throat> the idea that um, the, the whole thing became, uh, you know, the argument was all about whether or not these vaccines were safe and effective, uh, more so than whether or not the, the federal government had the authority to use, you know, to circumvent the, the comp constitution and use this OSHA branch, uh, agency to impose a, a vaccine mandate. I mean, they talked a little bit about that, but the vast majority of the argument, every time they, you know, push back on anything, it all came back to like, listen, this is like a really bad pandemic and, you know, almost a million people have died and blah, 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 blah. And people are at grave risk. They kept saying grave risk, grave danger. They never defined grave risk or grave danger. But the, the entire argument, sir, uh, you know, uh, rested on the efficacy of the vaccine and the danger that COVID-19 presented to people. That was basically the case that they were making. Now, I don't think that even matters in this. You know, It's not about whether or not COVID-19 is really deadly and it's a grave danger to everybody or these vaccines are safe and effective. That's not the point here. The, the point is the federal government trying to force employers to force their employees to get injected with something in order to work there. That's the issue here. Not whether or not these vaccines work, not whether or not they're safe, not whether or not COVID-19 is just so dangerous that we have to, you know, use all these emergency powers. And Justin and I talked about the emergency use of powers on the, on the last episode. I think that's bullshit because it's totally subjective. You know, you can claim anything's an emergency and COVID is a great example of that. And then you just get to, you know, do whatever the hell you want and and face no no repercussions, right? I, I mean, personally, I think what should be at the forefront of the, of these arguments is whether or not these 
agencies have any constitutionality at all. Well, I, I would like them to go and question that precedent. I mean, this is a this is a great opportunity to go back and and rethink why we have these agencies to begin with, not whether or not they they can do x you know x y and z in addition to what they're already doing because you know the the whole argument that they're making other than vaccine efficacy and safety and grave danger bullshit is that oh you know this is nothing new they've done this before and this is why these agencies exist like well where's the authority to get these agencies and wh why do they exist and maybe they shouldn't exist i would love if that would come up but no, of course not. We're just going to accept that all you know. All these Supreme Court justices just accept previous um, precedent and, and take it as gospel. We can't question anything. That's why I think it's so ridiculous that they think they're going to overturn Roe v. Wade or something like that. No, they won't. No, they won't. All these justices are are you know they're they're such pusses that they're they're going to do everything else. You know they're going to fall in line. They're they're part of the they're part of the apparatus. They're not going to change anything. They might prevent something new from coming into coming into effect with some new government overreach, but they're not going to go back and change something that you know. They're not going to go back and right a wrong. Unfortunately, none of the none of the justices seem to have any you know in depth knowledge of coronavirus. Like they've been living under a rock or something for the last two years. It's really bizarre. But one thing I thought was absolutely hilarious and would have been a great argument to make was that the guy that um the top lawyer arguing against the biden vaccine mandates before the supreme court literally tested positive for covid despite being vaccinated and having his booster shot he tested positive for covid right before this hearing and so he had to do this whole thing remote i mean you can't make this stuff up it, this guy's doing a video call he has to zoom in now because he, he he took the vaccine, he did both his shots, he got his booster, he did everything. I'm sure he's walking around with his mask on everywhere he goes, and he still got one of these so-called breakthrough infections. Um, he tested positive right before the oral arguments on Friday and had to do the whole thing remote. I mean, he should just point to himself and be like, look, this is ridiculous. Well, who cares about vaccines? Clearly, they, they don't stop you from getting COVID. So, if you're going to have a mandate, the only mandate you should be having is a testing mandate because that's the only way you can tell whether or not you have COVID-19 is to get tested. I mean, that's it. Whether or not you're vaccinated. Like one of the things that drives me absolutely nuts with these vaccines is that they confuse being vaccinated with being COVID free. And as this lawyer is literally like living evidence of you can be vaccinated to the full extent that you can be and still get COVID-19. Now, I didn't listen to the Missouri case live. I missed that one. I caught most of the, the second one, but I did go back and listen to a lot of the, um, the recordings of it. And I, I went ahead and pulled some clips from the, the Missouri versus Biden arguments as well. Let's, let's go ahead and listen to some of those. Let's play the first clip. And then on the uh, question to follow up on Justice Gorsuch's question, what is the story, as you understand it, for why CMS has not previously required uh, flu shots for healthcare workers or some of the other vaccines that, as you pointed out, the states still uh, insist upon for healthcare workers? Is there a story there, or explanation there for why CMS has not 
previously done that? I think the Secretary laid this out and sort of identified different reasons as to different categories of vaccines. So as to some, uh, where state vaccination requirements mean that everyone is basically vaccinated against those diseases already, there was no need for the Secretary to do that. Uh, The Secretary also hasn't acted with respect to flu vaccines. Some states have done that. Not every state has done that. Uh, But the Secretary explained that this is a pandemic that is a much graver threat than the seasonal flu is, and also that these are uniquely effective uh, vaccines and explained that it's that combination, the sort of unique pandemic situation that we haven't seen before and the uniquely effective vaccines that led him to choose to adopt that here. Thank you. These are uniquely effective vaccines, and that's why he's, they're, they're being forced to. You, they are uniquely effective in the sense that they aren't effective at all. I guess that would be unique because up until 2020, or 2021, when we came out with these vaccines, a vaccine would actually provide immunity against the the virus or the disease that you're you're vac- vaccinating against. Um, now, apparently, <laughs> we we come up with vaccines that don't stop you from getting it and don't stop you from spreading it. So, in that sense, it absolutely is uniquely effective. Uh, it's uniquely effective at being ineffective. <laughs> this, is, this is ridiculous. Uniquely effective. So, we just had to do it because it's so effective and it's so uniquely effective that we have to force it on everybody. All right, let's keep going. This court should stay those injunctions for two reasons. First, Requiring medical staff vaccination during a pandemic falls squarely within the Secretary's statutory authority to protect the health and safety of Medicare and Medicaid patients. Vaccination requirements are a traditional and common way to curb the spread of infectious disease. Many healthcare workers are already required to be vaccinated against diseases like hepatitis, measles, and the flu. And the medical community overwhelmingly supports COVID-19 vaccination requirements, which have been adopted by providers around the country. I mean, look, this idea that vaccination means, you know, they keep comparing these vaccines to other actual vaccines that we've used in the past, you know, like the vaccine against measles or against polio, where those were actually vaccines that gave you immunity. If you had been if you had taken the polio vaccine, you couldn't get polio. Like We eradicated polio. Right. So. That I don't think you can use that comparison when arguing for these so-called vaccines when they're not actually vaccines. If you go back and listen to the episode that probably got me banned from YouTube where I talked about how these don't meet the definition of vaccines in any way, shape or form. They're, they're gene therapy and they don't prevent you from getting the, the virus at all. Um, there's less and less evidence that they're effective any more effective than anything else that we've been taking. Um, so, you know, the the whole 99% thing was bullshit. It went down to like 40% in places like Israel. So the idea that, you know, you could be like, well, you know, we required vaccines for uh, in the healthcare industry for measles and for polio to protect the, the patients that, that are coming into the hospital. Okay. But the, these vaccines, you could take this vaccine, you could just as easily get COVID-19 as anybody else and transmit it. So that doesn't matter. Like the, we're, we're comparing apples to oranges here. You're comparing a vaccine that actually provided immunity to a gene therapy that does no such thing. Another thing that came up was the cost of all of implementing all of these mandates and how, you know, the uh, I think it might have been Sotomayor who brought it up. And this was in the Missouri thing 
with, with the healthcare industry. Well, she wanted the counselor to make the point that this was not a big burden cost-wise on the industry. So let's go ahead and listen to that. Here we go. One of the major arguments raised by the other side here that I want you to address is um, the un- what they describe as the enormous cost that this will affect on hospitals and the fact that it's affecting so many healthcare providers, et cetera. Could you please tell me whether this is unprecedented in terms of what CMS generally does? I can. And at first, if I could, I'd like to put in context the cost. I think the secretary's cost estimate was on the order of $1.3 billion, much of which will be borne by the federal government, which covers the cost of vaccinations. He put that in context by emphasizing that healthcare spending in this country is $4 trillion and that the costs in this case amount to about $125 per employee. So I don't think the costs of this rule, when viewed in context, are particularly great. One point something billion is their estimate. And Believe me, if we know anything about government estimates, that'll be way off. But you know, the the federal government bears the the cost of that because they're they're covering the cost of all the vaccinations. Well, that this is just this drives me fucking crazy. What does that mean? The federal government covers the cost of it, bears the cost. No, they don't. We do. Uh, that just means that the taxpayers on the hook for it. The same taxpayers that don't want this uh, mandate implemented in the first place. So, I mean, th- this is absolutely ridiculous. Not only do we not want you to force something down our throat, but then we have to pay for it as well. Unbelievable. Now, the other thing that was just really ridiculous, you know, these these arguments, these are like the, they're in front of the Supreme Court, right? These are supposed to be like really smart, intelligent, impressive people. And the argument that they're making is that unvaccinated people pose a grave risk, grave danger to not just the vaccinated, but the unvaccinated as well. But at the same time, they're arguing that we should we should force everybody to take these vaccines because they're very safe and they're very effective in mitigating the the symptom. Like you won't have severe outcomes if you get the the, the vaccine from COVID nineteen. So how if if the vaccine does in fact do that, if the, if it mitigates the the symptoms and lessens your chance of having um you know severe complications from COVID nineteen, well then what grave danger are the unvaccinated putting the vaccinated in? I mean, obviously there's there's no disconnect there, right? But the other the other thing is like nobody mentioned um, age groups or underlying conditions or anything like that, right? So we're talking about workforces, right? Who's who's in the workforce primarily? Like what what age groups are working? Well, I mean, you can't you can't legally start working until you know 15, right? You can get a workers permit at 15, but generally people go to college first and some now they're getting, you know, master's degrees and and doctorates and shit because the college degree has become worthless. So, you know, you're in your mid-20s, maybe late 20s if you're getting all these extra degrees before you enter the workforce. And you work until you're 65, and then you retire. And you go on your, your government-sponsored uh, Ponzi scheme. I mean, that that's Social Security. I mean, that, that that's the whole plan, right? So how many people over the age of 65 are still in the workforce? And then think about the 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 primary group of people that are in quote unquote grave danger from unvaccinated coronavirus people. Well, it'd be people over the age of 65, wouldn't it? Now, are they in, are 
generally speaking, how many of those people are actually in the labor force? And why are we, you know, coming through with this mandate to mandate a bunch of 20 year olds get vaccinated to protect a bunch of old people that aren't actually going to be in working in the building? Uh, the whole thing's just ridiculous. But nobody pushed back on any of the um, the statistics that this lady was rattling off. And, you know, like I said, it shouldn't have been about these statistics. And it shouldn't have been about the efficacy of the vaccine it should be about federal authority and and whether or not they can actually do what they're trying to do but if they're going to make the case that you know this vaccine is so safe and effective and covid is such a grave danger then i think you have to have them define a what a grave danger is and b you have to question some of these numbers she said at one point she said one in 14 people are hospitalized from covid-19 one in 14 now I know that that is a complete bullshit statistic. Absolutely bullshit. You're talking about, what, 7% of people are hospitalized? There's no goddamn way. Seven per I mean, the, the last time I saw anything about um, hospitalization rates from people that got COVID-19, it was like 2% maybe. And that's when you don't con like put any controls in. You know, you don't control for age or whether or not they had diabetes or leukemia or something like that. So, I mean, if you put in, if you just account for age groups, you know, it's less than less than two percent. But yeah, maybe you know, people over the age of sixty-five, it's like two to three percent, something like that, are hospitalized. Remember when we talked about the Bill Maher episode where he was talking about the poll? of uh, Republicans, Democrats, and how wildly off they were. People thought like 40%, you had a 40% chance of being hospitalized. Yeah, it was like 2%. It's like 2% chance. So they're, they're rattling off all these statistics. Nobody has the knowledge to question them. And it was just very, very frustrating to watch. I thought the exchanges with Sotomayor were some of the, the most interesting ones. There's a, a good back and forth there. So let's go ahead and roll that. Justice Sotomayor. Yes, counsel. I, I quibble with that in part. The unvaccinated worker affects other unvaccinated workers, but affects vaccinated workers. We have proof of that with Omicron. And it's not just death, but there is illness. And for many with pre-existing conditions or immunological problems, there are severe consequences even when vaccinated. So I think it, the grave danger is to both. But Mr. Fletcher, are you, a, you seem to be importing into necessary a concept of strict scrutiny. Am I correct? No, Justice Sotomayor. The necessary analysis does have to account for alternatives, but we're not asking anything close to a least restrictive means analysis. What we're saying is the agency... All right, so if you're not, I know that your experts are predicting um, catastrophes, but they've done experts uh, opposed to OSHA regulations have done the same for decades. Um, and the catastrophes have failed to happen. And there are exemptions. The Postal, the, the postal Service is looking for them, is looking at one of them. Uh, I'm sorry, OSHA is looking at one from, from uh, the Postal Service, and they're probably other private and public entities who can seek exemptions as well. But putting all of that aside, who makes that judgment about the seriousness of the effect? I always thought it was the agency. It's not judges, and it's not experts.
experts um, uh, have uh, conflicting opinions. I always thought that all we had to look at was whether an agency had substantial evidence before it to conclude that all of the economic ramifications that you're speaking about, and this is what I think they found, are overblown. Where am I wrong? That that's an agency judgment. There is certainly substantial evidence to, to support their judgment. It's a very huge record they compiled. They looked at a massive amount of data across many, many industries and in many, many different states. Um, please tell me why, if we're going to issue a temporary stay, and I think this was uh, Justice Breyer's question, we would have to accept your version of the facts as opposed to the agencies. Aren't we supposed to accept the agencies? Now that really is something, right? She's Sotomayor is actually questioning whether the these predictions have validity to them. Now, I mean, it's probably a lot easier to make um, economic predictions based on what would happen if this was instituted. At least in terms of cost, some you know we have some idea what would happen in terms of the the labor force and the the ripple through the economy on that. But certainly, these predictions would be closer to coming true than all of the COVID hysterical predictions that were wildly inaccurate, wildly inaccurate. But she'll she'll take those as gospel. She'll take you know four million people dead. Bodies piling up in the streets, you know, that all of that as gospel, but she's questioning whether or not this will really have an economic impact, um, as, as drastic as they say it is. Um, I mean, I don't even know what to say to that. If you, if you want to get into which predictions are, are, have been more accurate throughout this whole thing, uh, the, the, those that were saying that, you know, shutting down the economy, would, would would have devastating effects that we're going to see a, a, a wave of inflation, a tidal wave of inflation come over the 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 country like never before. Uh, high unemployment numbers, shortages. We're seeing all of that. Uh, this would only exacerbate a lot of these a lot of these problems we've been having. I think that's fairly logical and easy to see. And to question that, to question those models and not the models of the COVID hysteria that says people are going to fucking just die because they're unvaccinated is really something. Sotomayor, aren't we supposed to accept the – well, how about the agency has been wrong about everything? All of your fucking agencies have been wrong about everything. I mean they've gotten everything wrong every step of the way and not just by a little bit. They've been wildly inaccurate wildly inaccurate way 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 off on everything i mean should we go through the list i know i'm kind of running long here but my god how about just the fact that the vaccine was supposed to be 99 percent effective oops it's like 40 percent effective if effective at all oh, it's supposed to be safe and effective oh, i don't know we got soccer players dropping dead on the fucking field a lot of young people getting myocarditis Eh, that that safe part's looking a little more questionable too. 
How about just the models that they initially came up with? How many millions of people were supposed to die? I, I forget. Was it three, four million, something like that? It was a lot. It was a lot. The hospitals were supposed to be overrun. That never happened. Uh, bodies were going to be piling up in the streets in places like Florida and Texas that didn't institute the, you know, all these lockdowns and mask mandates. That didn't happen. Uh, you can't point to one agency that's gotten one fucking thing right this entire time. So maybe that's why you should stop listening to the agencies, predictions, doomsday scenarios in the case of COVID and rosy scenarios in the case of the economy. I mean, there's there's never been a government agency that, that says anything bad is going to happen to the economy ever. You know, the Federal Reserve always comes out and says, oh, yeah, no, we're, we see nothing but, you know, sunshine and butterflies for as far as the eye can see. They've never predicted a recession coming, even though, you know, cyclically that we get one every like eight years or something like that. But they've never predicted. It. They've never been like, oh, it's been 12 years. We're due for a recession. No, no, no. They say that there's no recession in sight. They always say that. I mean, there's these government agencies ha have not gotten a prediction right in my entire lifetime that I'm aware of. Somebody please correct me on this. But certainly when it comes to COVID-19 and the ramifications of it on the economy, they were way off. Um, and, and the ramifications of COVID-19 in general, they were way off. <laughs> All right. Let, let's uh, let's keep rolling. Regardless, even OSHA has said that one to three percent of employees will quit. That is significant. Our declarations, Appendix 308, 316. Council, uh, yes, that may be true, but we are now having deaths at an unprecedented amount. Catching COVID keeps people out of the workplace for extraordinary periods of time. And there have been proof in certain industries like the medical industry that when um, vaccines are mandated, and there's no mandate here for a vaccine. There is a masking mandate, no different than there is um, when we tell people that if there are sparks flying in the workplace where you have workers have to be provide, have to wear a mask. So that's no different to, in my mind than this. So this is not a vaccine mandate. There are costs and deaths and other things countervailing to the fact that there might be one to three percent of workers who leave. Oh, just one to three percent of the, the labor force would be out of work. OK, well, only one to three percent of the people are going to die from this. I mean, the, the, the numbers are like actually pretty comparable there. And, you know, three percent's on the very, very high end. You got to be probably above the age of 70 and have, you know, diabetes and a bunch of other things to, in order to die from this. It's only one to three percent. No big deal. I mean, how many people, how, how many, uh, you know, people with families and everything like that, whose, whose entire livelihood is wrapped up in their job? I mean, how, how many people risk their, their lives in order to put food on the table every single day? My guess is it's a lot of people and you should, they should be able to make that decision for themselves. Now, if you're not willing to take those risks, you can take any precaution that you'd like. You can leave, feel free to be one of the 3% to, to leave your job. Um, if, if they're not going to put the vaccine mandate and even if you're vaccinated, you can, you can leave. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot of people that would rather risk death than lose their job. All right, let's keep going. Well, and here vaccines have been made available. I also think there's a textual clue within the OSHA Act, 29 USC 655. Uh, you forget that there are certain states now that are, um, stopping employers from requiring vaccines there are certain states 
uh, stopping employers from requiring masks. Why shouldn't the federal government, which it has already decided in OSHA, to give, Congress has decided to give OSHA the power to regulate workplace safety, have a national rule that will protect workers? Congress would have to clearly state in a statute if it wanted to give an occupational health agency the power to require employees to get certain medical treatment. It's one thing to say. There's no requirement here. It's not a vaccine mandate. It's something totally different. And I don't know how much clearer than 651 Congress could have been. It charges OSHA with developing innovative methods, techniques, and approaches to dealing with occupational safety, occupational safety and health issues. I don't know how much clearer you can be if you're Congress to tell an agency in an emergency, do what's necessary. I don't think Congress can do it. Do you? If Congress was going to give an occupational health agency this type of power to essentially regulate directly the employee rather than telling employers these are the types of things that you would want to do within your workplace, it would have had to provide that Clearly, So what's the difference between this and telling employers where sparks are flying in the workplace, your workers have to be, wear a mask? When sparks are flying in the workplace, that's presumably because there's a machine that's unique to that workplace. That is the... So why is the human being not like a machine if it's spewing a virus, blood-borne viruses? Are you questioning Congress's power or desire that OSHA do this? It already in 1991 told OSHA to issue regulations with respect to Hep C and B. Justice Sotomayor, I think that exactly proves our point that Congress knows how to enact a statute when it wants to give OSHA. It didn't enact a statute. OSHA proposed regulations. It didn't act fast enough, and Congress told it to act faster. So it wasn't Congress who proposed it. It wasn't Congress who devised it. Congress gave OSHA the responsibility to do these things, and Congress was saying, get to it. And what Congress said in there was not, you now have statutory authority to regulate all communicable diseases. It was bloodborne pathogens, and even that rule did not mandate vaccines or widespread testing. Okay, here's the thing. There, we have to be able to see through this for what they're doing. The, the, the testing aspect of this is an out for them. That that's what they're falling. And she just fell back on it. Oh, there's no vaccine requirement. There's no vaccine requirement here. So I don't know what your problem is. They can always get tested. No, no, no. This is the first step. This is how they get the authority. Not, you know, they'll leave that in there so that you capitulate on the vaccine mandate thing, since it's not an actual uh, mandate, right? You can still opt to get the testing. But then once they get the authority to do this, once the Supreme Court rules on it, Soon enough, that testing option will go the way of the dodo bird and you will be forced to take the vaccine. And then there's me like, well, we have presidency. Look, there was a vaccine and, you know, you voted on this before. You made your arguments before and we accepted it. This is what they're doing. This is how they get their foot in the door. This is how government operates. We have to be able to see through this. If they really didn't want to push the vaccine, if their end game wasn't to get rid of the testing option and have just the vaccine option, then they would be testing everybody. They would force everybody to get tested. 
And if they really wanted to do everything possible to ensure the safety of the workers, they would test everybody. But they're not doing that. They're doing vaccine or testing. The testing is a little out that they can leave there in order to, you know, satiate the people that are really apprehensive about vaccines. And once they get the authority, then they, they do the old bait and switch. They take out the, you know, the the testing option comes out and you're left with just the vaccine mandate. And now there's this precedent in the fucking court for it. And that's what's going to happen here. 100% that's what's going to happen if they don't shoot this down. Also, uh, when sparks are flying in the workplace, that's just in the workplace. So that worker, when, when he has to put the mask on at the workplace, when he leaves the workplace, he gets to take it off. And presumably, he's not affected. His body's not affected. His health isn't affected. His life's not affected outside of the workplace. If you're talking about vaccinating people, injecting experimental gene therapies into their system, altering their DNA... That's with them for life, in and inside the building, outside of the work for the work building. For the rest of their lives, they have 100% altered their genetic material. There, there's no coming back from that. You can't just take it off like you take off a mask. So there's one big difference, Sotomayor. I think, was it Roberts actually made the only, Roberts I thought made a, a couple of interesting points. One of them was that, you know, the the lady making the case was saying that, like you know, like OSHA has this authority from something that, you know, some 1970 bill that Congress passed or whatever. And, you know, they have they have a, a, a duty to protect all of the workers right in the workforce. And that's, you know, that's that's what she's saying. Right. And and so this vaccine mandate would protect everybody. And, and so they can do it. I think it was Roberts brought up the the fact that all of the things that OSHA has come up with in the past to protect workers only affect those workers in the workplace, right? It's like, you know, you go, I think he used the analogy like you go to work and you put on like a hard hat or something, right? It's like you only do it while you're on the job site, while you're on the job. And this, getting vaccinated, would affect you in every aspect of your life forever, it, it's not a temporary thing that you just do at the office to make sure you're safe at work. It's something that is with you forever as soon as you get the the vaccine. And I thought that was a very uh, that was a very good point, but that was like the only good point that any of these guys made. All right, let's keep going. Justice uh, uh, Kagan. I guess I, I just don't see this as a situation, you know, a typical arbitrary, capricious situation where we say, oh, you didn't consider an alternative carefully enough. We all know what the best policy is. I mean, by this point, two years later, we know that the best way to prevent spread is for people to get vaccinated and to prevent dangerous illness and death is for people to get vaccinated. Uh, no, no, we don't know that. And this is why you have to have somebody that can make this fucking argument. Uh, two years into this, you do you don't have any fucking evidence to back that up. You have a bunch of bullshit claims. That's all you've got. You've got platitudes. It says this. It, it's just uh, NPC bobbleheads. Oh, this is the best defense we have. This is safe and effective. This is the only thing that we can do. This this is the best thing that we can do to prevent the spread, to prevent excess deaths and and complication. No, 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 no. That, that nothing. There is nothing that bears that out in reality especially now that we have these variants. But even in the initial testing, there, even the test results didn't bear that out. Go back and look at some of the test results. And, in, you know, it was going to be 75 years before we got all this information, but 
Apparently now they're going to, uh, the judge knocked it down to about eight months. Eight months from now, you can see the data. It, th there's nothing that bears this out. There was one of these studies, more people died from the, in the vaccine group than the control group. Like one or two more people died. The, the, these are, these are bullshit claims that you make when you don't have evidence to back them up and you can't really, they're phrased in a way that it's hard to dispute though. Like you can't prove a negative. If you, if you take the vaccine, you're less likely to be hospitalized and die. Okay. How, how do you prove that? How, how do you know? How do you know that that person that took the vaccine wasn't going to be hospitalized or died to begin with? Because very few people go to the hospital and very few people die from this on a percentage basis. Ugh. That is by far the best. The second best is to wear masks. So this is a policy that basically says we are still confronting thousands of people dying uh, every time we look around. And so we're going to put into place the policy that we know works best, which is to strongly incentivize vaccination and to insist that unvaccinated people will wear masks and test. I mean, that's just like, uh, why isn't that necessary? What else should be done? It's, it's obviously the policy that's that, uh, geared to preventing most sickness and death, and the agency has done everything but stand on its head to show quite clearly that no other policy will prevent sickness and death to anywhere uh, like the degree this one will. I, this is just so frustrating to, to miss that argument, to miss that opportunity to rattle off actual statistics that would show that this is not a grave danger to the vast majority of the American people. Um, I, I mean – Okay, almost a million people have died. Those numbers are highly questionable to begin with. But they're not talking about age ranges. They're not talking about underlying conditions. They're not considering any of that um, with these blanket regulations. And the best way we have to combat all that is with the vaccine. Show, show me how that works. Where's that evidence? Where are those studies? I mean, you could shoot a million holes through this. I've been doing that on this podcast for the last year. Every time, you know, something like this comes up, it's, it's easy. It's easy to shred these claims of vaccines working, uh, vac vaccines being our best defense against this thing. The, the guy that's making this argument, I think this is him. He is vaccinated. He has COVID. He couldn't show up to court that day because he tested positive after being boosted with the so-called best defense we have against this thing. Clear, like maybe if they were just arguing for testing, okay, maybe testing is the best way to prevent people from going into the office and being sick and spreading it. All right, fine. But vaccines don't do shit. It doesn't mean anything. You can be vaccinated and you can still have this and you can still spread it. So that it's clearly not the best uh, course of action. The best course of action would be have everybody work from home. How about that? Um, here's something else you can do. Test everybody. Test the vaccinated. Why wouldn't we test the vaccinated if they can still get it and they can still transmit it? Even if it's uh, allegedly less of a chance, which each new variant, it seems like it's more and more of a chance. But okay, test everybody then. Everybody should just be tested. There's there's no reason not to test the vaccinated other than a matter of convenience, and they're trying to get you to get vaccinated for some reason. 
not because they're worried about the the disease, not because they're worried about the virus, but because they want you they want you to take the vaccine and they want you they want to in strong as she said strongly incentivize you to. Now if you still have to get tested every day, why would you take the vaccine, right? But if the vaccine doesn't prevent you from getting it and doesn't prevent you from spreading it, why shouldn't you be tested? How wh- somebody make that argument to me. Why not? I mean, we've got these cruise ships. There's a, it was at no we one of these cruise ships fully vaccinated, everybody on board fully vaccinated, COVID outbreak. Now, if they had tested everybody, they would have known. They would have they would have been able to get everybody on the boat 100% not contagious to COVID. I mean, assuming that the test is very accurate, but okay, why aren't we, if we're this concerned and we want to do everything possible, then testing everybody on top of vaccinations, even if they are vaccinated, giving them a test to make sure that they're not, they don't have one of these breakthrough infections that seem to be more and more common these days. Certainly more and more common than they were in the studies, right? Those those very meticulous studies where they followed all of the scientific protocol. Certainly testing everybody would be the best solution to the, the best way to prevent this. I mean, why not? <laughs> I mean, every, every argument that they're using against the you know, the people that are against the vaccine mandates, you know, that this isn't that big of a deal. It's not that big of an inconvenience. It's not that expensive. Those can all be applied to forcing the people that are vaccinated to get tested too. So um, yeah, that's one thing you could do if you really want to go above and beyond and, and make sure, you know, you have all your ducks in a row and you've done everything possible to make sure that this grave danger doesn't make its way into the workplace. Then you test everybody regardless of vaccination status. Another good point that was brought up, and I don't, I don't want to play any more audio because I know this is this episode's running really long. And this was this was made by the guy that was remotely uh, Flowers, I think is his name is. He had to he had to chime in remotely because despite being vaccinated and boosted, he still got COVID. Is that they keep saying OSHA has like a responsibility for workplace safety and they can do this because it's the workplace and these are workers and blah 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 blah. The thing is, uh, COVID nineteen is not workplace a workplace safety issue. COVID-19 it does not just exist in the workplace. It exists everywhere. Um, it, it's, a, it's a risk that you, when you wake up in the morning, you're, you're at risk of getting it. You, you face it everywhere. It's everywhere and always going to be a life risk, not a workplace risk. I, I mean, what if there was like some other, I mean, I can't really think of an analogy off the top of my head or like another example, but like anything else in life that you're at risk of and then OSHA comes up with like some blanket one size fits all rule that has to imply uh, apply to all employers in the workplace just because you could uh, you know you could be exposed to that thing in the workplace but you you're exposed to it in life in general you know w- one thing i think a lot of the the justices were getting hung up on which hopefully would mean that they're not going to uphold this this Biden mandate is just the blanket authority that's given to one individual at the head of these agents. It, it's like up to their discretion as to whether or not they think this is in the patient's health, the best interest of the patient's health or the worker's safety. It's up to their – like they can pretty much do – the way that the, they're reading into it to make this argument is like there's there's no limit 
to the powers that they can do as long as they believe that it's in the best interest of the patient, their health and safety, or in, in the case of Missouri, or in the, in the case of the workers against, you know, uh, in the workplace, it's the, the employee's um, protection safety in the workplace and that that's just an insane i mean the, the the language they did read through some of the language and you just can't believe that they that they would allow such language to get written into these things that's that open-ended it's worse than any of the, the you know the clauses that they exploit in the constitution that are sort of vaguely worded that just you know the, the commerce clause or which is what one of the things they're relying on for this employee thing but yeah to just be like yeah as long as it's in the patient's health best interest of the patient they can pretty much do whatever they want is the way they're reading into this I think that's giving a lot of these justices uh, a, a, a pause and, and thinking, well, what is the limit? And one of the, I think it might have been Alito, asked, uh, asked the counselor, is, is there any limit to what the secretary of CMS can, can, can't do? Like what if, if it's as long as he believes it's in the, the patient's best interest, the health of the patients, what can he not? you know, what, what, what's to stop him from doing anything. So I don't know, hopefully that that'll give them some pause. It, I mean, I, I just wish we could get somebody in there to make an argument other than these, like these stupid arguments of convenience. It's like, th that's the only thing that they're addressing is, oh, well, like the, you know, the, these like really rudimentary arguments about oh the well there'll be staffing shortages this will be inconvenient you know you'll destroy the industry and you know they can make anybody can come back with estimates as to why that's not the case but that that's not really the point here and neither is the efficacy of the vaccine it's not about that this is about this is about something completely different uh, this is about individual freedom and the and the choices that you make to to put, what to put in your body federal government's authority over the individual and over the states. I mean, there's a lot more at stake here than just uh, a vaccine and a testing mandate. And and to not to not have anybody making the correct arguments during these in front of the fucking Supreme Court is really frustrating. Really frustrating. I mean, there has to be somebody out there competent enough to make the proper arguments for this and not just be like well you know it's inconvenient you might have staff turnover it's going to be tough on the businesses it's going to be expensive it's like yes all of those things but also much more importantly all these other things <laughs> yeah I, i'm seeing all these articles you know there's an article on cnn talking about how it seemed like none of the justices were really poised to to uphold the uh, the vaccine mandate. Um, I I didn't necessarily get that impression. It but it does you know it it seems like it might fall along party lines again. So hopefully this this will get shot down. I mean I'm still trying to to make up my mind where I think they're going with this. If I had to guess, I do think that they will eventually. You know they might punt this for a while, but I think eventually they will strike it down because there's a lot of justices that that think that this should be left up to the states to decide it, it seemed like a lot of them were like shouldn't the states be handling this and you know they were the uh osha lady was arguing that they had this like federal police power to regulate everything in in the nation and i i think that made a lot of the justices uncomfortable so i think they'll probably leave it up to the states well, and then I guess in that in that regards that the um, the U.S. might start functioning more 
along the lines that the uh, the founding fathers envisioned with you know these little laboratories of democracy in states and people can move out of states that are trying to force them to take something that they don't want or they don't need and you'll start to see you know places like Texas and Florida take off and and places like Illinois with Chicago and and California with LA and New York that are already fiscally fucked uh, just go down the tubes rapidly i mean people are fleeing chicago left and right um i will be putting my place on the market as soon as possible i am done with that shithole but it's just going to accelerate the demise of these things that have been that, i mean these places that have already been basically living on borrowed time getting a bunch of federal bailout money to sort of keep them afloat and um, speaking of chicago as the uh, aforementioned Chicago public schools issue, you know, this I find very interesting because I, I, I don't know how you sort of square the circle if you're Lori Lightfoot, who you guys know is one of my favorite people on the planet. But she's basically, uh, one day she's out there saying like, oh, Omicron is so deadly that we have to have every person five years old and older vaccinated if they want to go to a restaurant or if they want to go to the gym or to any like you know entertainment thing, you got to be vaccinated. Five years old and older. Start that started on January third. Okay. On the other hand, schools are perfectly safe to go to, and you should open them up immediately, and nobody has to be vaccinated, and just open them up and have in person things, and and all these teachers need to get you know get off their ass and get into school because the schools are perfectly safe now. I agree that these schools are perfectly safe for children to go to, and I think there's a lot of evidence to back that up, but it's just, it's hilarious to watch them have to sort of toe this line of trying to get these this teacher's union to get off their ass and go back to work, and also institute a vaccine mandate, vaccine passports, for every man, woman, and child to just go to a restaurant or something. I mean, like, what are we what are we doing here? Right? Kids can go to, to school for, like, what, six, seven hours a day in classrooms of, you know, 30, 40 kids in close quarters, you know, sitting within arm's reach of somebody, but they can't go into a restaurant and get a burger and, and sit there for 25 minutes. This is where we're at with this. None, none of this makes any sense. That's why I thought it was so it was so interesting to watch these idiots try to make arguments in front of the Supreme Court because you can't you cannot make a coherent argument for anything related to COVID-19 unless you're coming at it from our perspective. Uh, you know, I just wish I could have had a couple minutes to, to throw out some questions or if they had just had, you know, like a Tom Woods on, on this panel, you know, somebody who could, who actually was knowledgeable about this stuff, who could push back and just make the, the coherent arguments as to why none of this should exist. Uh, I don't know the the Chicago is just a, a laughing stock at this point. They, They've got so many problems over there. The crime is off the charts. Uh, the kids aren't going to school anymore. The teachers' union is bleeding the city dry. I mean, you can go back and listen to the previous episodes I've done on the Chicago teachers' union. But you know, these are people that are going to retire at fifty-five with you know eighty percent of their salary and live for forty years on the dole. Chicago's completely bankrupt because of these pensions, and now they won't even go back to work because they're so afraid of 
Omicron, right? You know, and their their demands were like, we need to see cases go down or we need to have the kids tested. Now, why the kids can't just be vaccinated, I don't know. I guess that's a whole, you know, a fight for a whole other day. But the the other thing that I just always find hilarious about these teachers unions, it, refusing to go to work, right? Refusing to go to work, refusing to teach because their demands aren't being met. But these are the same people that will tell you, oh, you know, it's all about the children. Think of the children. Education is a right. And apparently all your rights just go out the window when it comes to COVID-19. You don't get education. They, they want to deny you uh, health insurance now and health care services if you're not compliant with their vaccine status and vaccine mandates and things like that. So, you know, health care used to be a right. Education used to be a right until COVID-19. Now those are no longer rights and their true colors have, uh, have come to light. They don't really care about about these kids. They never really thought that those things were actually rights. There were privileges, and there were privileges that they will take away at any any time that their demands aren't being met. And they can come up with any demand that they want. And if they don't get it, they'll they'll stay home. And your your kid will just have to suffer an, another year of you know. I mean, personally, I think they're doing these kids a favor by not sending them into the, these government schools for another day to be propagandized. But uh, from the parents' perspective, I'm sure they're not too happy having to stay home with their kids again. But what, what's so funny about the, the school situation is that they've, they've completely flip-flopped their position on that, right? It's like, at first we had to close the schools because it was too dangerous. Now, like the, even the Biden administration is saying schools should be open for in-person instruction. They have studies that show that these closures, uh, school closures, don't cut down on uh, COVID-19, the spread of COVID-19, and, and all, all these people that previously thought, you know, were in favor of shutting down schools uh, ha have sort of backpedaled on that. And I don't know, man, the, the, this whole situation is just very interesting to watch. It's very interesting to watch them try to make both of these arguments, like it's perfectly fine for schools to be open, but at the same time, the kids can't go to restaurants or gyms or anything like that unless they're fully vaccinated. So Lori Lightfoot's got another headache on her on her uh, on her plate, so to speak. And I don't give a shit. I, I hope you know she's she's been trying to put out fires that she's created uh, left and right, and uh, now she's now she's in a big fight with the teachers union. That you know th these are her people. Um, these are the people that helped get her elected. And now they're turning on each other. It's pretty funny to watch. And I hope they all just, uh, you know, destroy each other. And uh, maybe Chicago will be a better city for it. Anyway, I think I'm going to go ahead and wrap there for today, guys. It's getting pretty late. You know, it's like midnight here now. And I do want to get some sleep. I am on the mend from Omicron, which uh, so far, not a big deal. Less of a big deal than Delta was. Less of a big deal than the original coronavirus. But we'll see. Maybe, you know, maybe I'll take a turn for the worse. But assuming I survive this bout with the, the most recent wave of COVID, I will be back on Tuesday. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. Become a member of our private Facebook group and you can maybe make it into the Friday night happy hours, which we did uh, we just had one yesterday. Went, I, you know, went for about three hours or so. It was a lot of fun. And uh, despite me having COVID, you know, I I powered through, powered through the COVID to uh, throw back a few drinks with everybody. It was great to see 
all those f familiar faces for the first time since the cellulite super spreader. So there's two ways you can get involved with that. If you're in the private Facebook group, if you end up being a top 10 contributor for the month, you get invited to the following month's first uh, Friday night happy hour. And I owe I owe the contributors one. I couldn't, you know, I was having some computer issues yesterday, so I couldn't get the the numbers for this for December. So I'll probably invite them to the next one. But the other way to do that, uh, to be involved with every happy hour is to become a supporting listener of the show. And you can do that by going to peddlingfictionpodcast.com. Click on the support the show tab and set up a recurring monthly donation for any denomination that you want. And that will get you in for the bi-weekly happy hours, which are really turning out to be one of uh, my, my favorite things that I've been doing with this podcast. So um, if you guys can do all that for me, I will be back on Tuesday. And Justin should be joining me with a brand new episode for you guys. And until then, you know the drill. Just keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.